Welcome to the Bikepack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockman Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike touring, get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, and learn the pros and cons of certain gear, bikes, and bike setups. I hope you enjoy this podcast and that my guest stories fill your journeys with hours of listening. If you're new to the bike touring scene and considering going on a tour, I hope this podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. Just before we get rolling into the podcast itself, I would like to have a public service announcement. Well, not really a public service announcement, more of a just a, hey, what's going on in my life? I have had some expressions of interest from listeners and stuff just to to hear what's what's happening and share my story and my experiences. So just to give you a little breakdown. And then I think when Carl records podcasts, we'll get him to do that so he can kind of keep up with what's going on in the world of uh, Chris and Carl. So my Redshift Sports stuff has arrived. Super excited. Now, bearing in mind that I didn't pay for it. So I do realize that that can cause um, implied bias if I do review stuff. But I I will talk about it because I think part of it is for them to, to hear feedback, whether positive or negative. And for me, just to be as open and transparent as I can about things. Yeah, so far, so good. Uh, I've been installing some of the stuff on my bikes. I've I've changed over from my profile design aero bars to, to these Redshift uh, quick release aero bars, which I see huge potential with just to be able to take them off if you're hitting some really gnarly single track on a long ride or something and just one less thing to bash your face into. The only downside I see to that, and I haven't quite sorted it out and figured it out yet, is where to mount all my stuff. I got the uh, water bottle holder accessory with it, which is cool. But that takes up a lot of the center area of the console, so which would be really great if you're using a road bike with a dual position seat post and you want to do triathlons and now you got a seat water bottle right there at your hands. I'm still going to test it with bike packing, but it might not be optimal. I'm not 100% sure, but I'll, I'll write about it, talk about it and be as transparent as I can. So that's the idea. Um, there's an accessory mount that hooks to that water bottle holder or it can hook to the bottom of the clamps. So that one could be permanent. So far, so good. Looks awesome. The shock stop seat post, it's going to go on my bike Friday uh, because it's got 20-inch wheels. And it'd be nice to have something to absorb a little bit of impact when I'm riding it. 
And I've been actually converting that bike to a drop bar system. It was using a mountain bike handlebars before. And so I'm, I'm just in the process of converting that over. So right now I can't really test it out because there are no handlebars on it and no group set at the moment. So that's my bike Friday. Did get some new tires though. Uh, this was a pretty cool thing I thought people might be interested in. I was looking up tires for the folding bikes, you know, 18 and 20 inches, my wife's birdie and my bike Friday. And I read some things, some good things about the Schwabi Big Apples. However, in North America, to buy them, they're like 65 bucks or 75 They're They're expensive. And I was looking online and I found them at Bike24, which is out of Germany, for like 10 euros. That's like $15. And I think the most, ex- the 20 inches were 13 euros, like 20 bucks. So I ordered uh, a pair each and got them shipped and everything to my door for $103. They came in like a week. Yeah, man, I would have been way more expensive had I ordered them locally. Uh, unfortunately, love to support local, but really folding bike tires are not something you can really find that easy in Canada. So they're probably coming from the U.S. anyways. So yeah, so anyways, that's that. Uh, Blackburn has, which is uh, distributed by OGC, one of the sponsors of the podcast. They did send me the Outpost Elite Hitchhiker bag, something that I've been wanting to try. It's a little, nice little bag for the front of your bike. Um, you can either mount it to hang over your front roll or you can hang it independently, but doesn't really pair up with aero bars that well. So not 100% sure how I'm going to utilize it. I think it's going to go on the folding bike with my old gravel handlebars. So that I have a, a means of touring and a little bag there. Um, I think that's a perfect accommodation there. With regards to supporting the podcast, if you are loving this podcast, you're enjoying this podcast, and you're thinking, man, I love, I can't wait for the next show to come out, you can always help us out at Patreon. I'm just trying to be upfront here. At the moment, we get like $25 a month. I'd love to see that double up to 50 or so. That way, um, there's a couple things in the website builder that, you know, you can have paid paid widgets that, that help with, um, I don't know, all these techie things. And I know it makes the website faster, better, smoother, all these things, but I can't afford it. And I also can't afford right now to upgrade the podcast to a better, um, a higher paid monthly fee, which allows for for more options and stuff. And like, so, yeah. To be able to get that up to 50 bucks a month, that would be awesome. And you can do that just by donating $1, $3, or $5 a month if you can afford it. That's like half a coffee, two coffees, whatever. And uh, that would go to helping to keep this podcast going. So if you can, that's awesome. If you can't, you can uh, definitely go to your podcast app and give us a review. Let us know what you think of the podcast. That would be much appreciated. And... While talking about the podcast and Patreon and stuff, I just want to do a shout out to four new supporters um, that have kind of come on to the podcast in the last month or so. Mark W., Adam H., Reese B., and Scott A. Thank you guys so much. I uh, really do appreciate it. And definitely email me if you have questions or even um, guests that you think would be great for the show. And lastly, before rolling on, I'd like to thank the sponsors of the Bike Tour Adventures podcast, Opus Bikes, Redshift Sports, and Seven Mesh Cycling Apparel. Thank you guys. Really appreciated. And let's get on with the show. Before starting off with the podcast, I'd like to just quickly apologize to the listeners and to the interviewees for uh, my oversight with regards to the sound quality. I didn't realize that the external sounds on Rue's microphone were getting picked up so vibrantly. And only after she went into a quiet place... Did we realize that, uh, or did I realize that the scratching sound on our microphone was also being picked up? So once we got that sorted out, it was really great. 
Uh, before that, there's a little bit of background noise and stuff. It's still a great interview. So enjoy. Bye-bye. In this episode of Bike Tour Adventures, I get to chat with the organizer of the Film by Bike Festival, Aileen Crotty. Unlike many of the adventure film festivals out there, this festival is specifically aimed at showcasing the world's best bike movies. As many bike tours out there produce movies and short films of their own adventures, I figured this is the perfect festival to highlight on the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. In case that's not enough for you, I also have the privilege of having a chance to speak with, and I forgive me if I get it wrong, but Rugal Kaladite, winner, and is that, how wrong was that? <laughs> oh, it's okay. I just go by Ru because it's easier. Ru. It's, uh, it's Rugil, yeah, Rugila Kaladite. Rugila Kaladite. Ru so good. Winner, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> winner of the Film by Bikes Audience Choice Award for her film, I Just Want to Ride, in which she followed Lael Wilcox on her 2019 attempt at beating the fastest known time of the Tour Divide. So, Aileen, Rue, welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. Thank Sorry, usually me. I do the whole yeah, thank you. Ter- terrible job at the name and get the corrections after, but <laughs> sorry. Um, so let's let's start off by learning about you guys, um, or ladies, I should say. Aileen, tell us about yourself and how you came to create the Film by Bike Festival. Yeah, so I created the Film by Bike Film Festival in the early 2000s at a time when Portland bicycle culture was really blossoming. There was an eagerness for those of us who enjoyed riding bikes for pure pleasure to be surrounded by other folks who understood that passion for cycling. We're talking 2000, 2001, 2, and 3. And we just wanted to share space and hold space with other people who understood our love of bikes. So we started this film festival as a way to raise funds for other bike-related projects we were doing. Back then, almost everything we did was free and cheap and out in the streets and at the parks. And it was so much fun to try new things and just be surrounded by other people who loved bikes. When we first hosted Film by Bike as a film festival and as a fundraiser, we never had any idea that here it would be 19 years later with a global audience and a global community of amazing filmmakers like Rue, who's joining us today. But the festival's really grown alongside the cycling culture. Nice. And like, I guess in those early years, uh, like you mentioned that there was never this thought, you never kind of couldn't foresee 19 years later. What was it like that first year or two in terms of just the numbers and stuff? Like how many films films were there and where did you play it off? Was it just in somebody's basement or like a garage somewhere or... Yeah, we started in a microtheater called La Palabra Cafe Press, which was a microtheater and photography lab here in Portland. Um, from there, we moved to another microtheater and then on to an independent theater called the Clinton Street Theater, which boasts the longest running Rocky Horror Picture Show west of the Mississippi. Nice. Um, we, we were having so much fun in those early days, trying everything and really just kind of throwing everything at the wall and seeing what stuck. We couldn't envision 19 years. Uh, into the future because we were young and innocent and naive, but also just growing. And we were really going with what made sense for our community. So we showed films on VHS tape. I think we had about six films that first year. Wow. And they were all on VHS tape. I sat there in the front of the room, switching out the VHS tapes from movie to movie. And we really grew over the years with the filmmakers' base growing as well. So we seek out filmmakers from all over the world. We reach directly out to filmmakers to introduce ourselves and introduce Film by Bike. 
And every year, we're really at the mercy of what filmmakers are working on in terms of what we wind up showing at the festival. And it's been so exciting over the years to work with filmmakers, to showcase their work, and to give them that platform and a broader audience for the great films that they're producing. Oh, very, very, very cool. So for yourself, in your own um, background, were you did you ever do much bike touring, or was it more of like a city cyclist or a road cyclist? What kind of biker are you? How would you describe yourself? A little bit of everything. Um, I got my start as a utilitarian cyclist in college and moved on to do some bike touring. Now I just love any chance to ride with friends since we haven't had a chance to do a lot Mm -hmm. of that. I love riding with friends. I love riding gravel. And I absolutely love riding in Forest Park, which is right here in the heart of Portland. It's a beautiful urban forest land. And I love riding through Forest Park on my gravel bike with my dog. We go about 11 miles. And to me, there's almost nothing sweeter than that. Yeah, man, that's dreamy. (laughs) Uh, How about you, Rue? What's your story? And welcome to the show as well. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, Let's see. I guess a little bit of my background is that I apparently when I was in fourth grade, I told my stepdad that I want to be a photojournalist and I didn't know that until he told me that, but I ended up pursuing that and taking it seriously. And I studied photojournalism in college and started experimenting a little bit of video uh, junior year of college and the very traditional role or the, I guess the path that you would take as a photojournalism major is that you would intern at several newspapers before you land a full-time position. So I ended up interning in Victoria, Texas and Jackson Hole, Wyoming before becoming a staff photographer and videographer at Anchorage Daily News in Anchorage, Alaska. And that was pretty much my dream job doing, you know, two to three photo and video assignments a day. And um, I was just there for about under a year before the newspaper went bankrupt. And you know, it's kind of the, the general trend with newspapers. But I ended up pursuing a freelance career in 2017. And with more time to work on longer form stories because newspaper just, you know, the daily hustle and you could kind of finish this one project and then, you know, the next day you have to have a new idea, a new project. But with freelance, I was able to uh, do longer projects and combine cycling and photography and videography. And it's kind of where I am now pursuing longer form documentary video projects revolving around cycling. Excellent. And do you have um, much past with cycling as well? Or is that kind of something that just evolved with the filming? Yeah, uh, I grew up in Chicago and I would spend the summers with my family just biking along Lake Michigan. There's this really incredible 30 mile um, just bike path. And so I would bike as a kid. And then that was my transportation in high school and college. And I raced a little bit of road and criteriums in college, but didn't start putting bags on my bike and started bike packing until I was in Anchorage, Alaska. And then I think right now my favorite kind of riding is when you're riding all day, when you see the sunrise and you see the sunset and you sleep outside and sometimes lug a ton of gear. I, I think that's for me is the most exciting. Oh, nice. So with regards to the festival, Aileen, how do you go about picking which films to screen? Because I assume that now, 19 years in, there are a lot of submissions and and there's probably so many good screenings that you're like, oh my God, how do you pick? 
Yeah, it's not an easy process. Um, one of the things we love is that we leave a sh- an entire program of the festival open to sculpt it based on what the filmmakers are submitting that year because trends change every year. So there are here at our signature annual festival, which typically occurs in Portland, but these days is global as we're online. The, we show our most expansive collection of films. And then a small portion of those films goes on the road to cities worldwide throughout the year. So here in Portland at the big festival, we have six different programs. Each one is distinct. And the final one of the festival, we always program that based on what we're seeing as a trend that comes in from the films. Now, when all those films come in, we sit down with a jury. The jury changes every year. And one of the silver linings of being a more global and a more online festival is that this year, for the first time ever, our jury is international. We were able to bring on some really interesting folks from all over the world who are nominated to be on the jury and to be able to have their influence and input. These are film and bike experts who are just passionate about bike and about film, bikes and or film. And so they help weigh in. They watch the films. It's about a panel of nine to 10 people. They let us know what they think. They let us know what they like, what they don't like. And they really hold us to our values. They really help us understand what's important to our viewers. And we take all that information and then we go back to the drawing board and we program the festival based on that great input from our jury. And that really determines what makes it on screen for the festival and what makes it into our tour program as well. Okay. And I guess that that having a jury sorts out any bias too, right? Yeah, we always make sure our jury is a nice mix of people from different backgrounds, different interests, different expertise, so that we feel that gives us a really great sense of what the audience is going to like as well. Because that's really our goal. We're, we're an entertainment organization. We are here to entertain. Now, we like that we're also inspiring people to ride bikes more. That is a great underlying mm. theme of everything we do. But first and foremost, we're here to entertain. Cool. And then I was going to ask you about the number of submissions. So how have you seen the growth in the submissions as well over the years? And what kind of numbers do you get in a, an annual submission? Our submissions have really matured over the years. And that is so exciting. You know, in the early days, we were just happy to get any bicycle related movies in. And there was a year when we stood at the back of the theater after months and months and months of planning and hard work. And we thought, really, these are these movies are okay but just okay. Mm. We knew we could do better. We knew there was more out there. So we started a really dedicated process of focusing on seeking out filmmakers who we had seen their work already. We'd seen their work online. So we do a lot of research and digging. For us, it's not about the overall numbers of films that come in because we don't want to waste filmmakers' time if we know the film's not going to make the cut or make it past our jury or if we know it's it's a too rough of a film and our, it won't be for our audience. So we really work on targeting filmmakers who we think are a great fit for the festival. So for us, it's not huge numbers of submissions, but it's making sure we get enough variety of submissions in where our festival can have a, a wide range of films mm. from animation to love stories, documentaries, bikepacking, touring, a little bit of everything for everyone. Okay. Awesome. And I was going to ask what you look for in the films, but I guess, like you said, that kind of changes every year, right? With the trends or are there certain things you still look for? 
there are still things we look for because and that's I'm a more curator. for the more for the people the, the aspiring filmographers out there that are, that are you know trying to think of what can I focus on. Go ahead. Yeah, we <laughs> we love super short stories um, that are super tightly edited and impactful that we've never seen before. That can be really fun to throw in there. Our films manager Melina Kulis, she's amazing. She is a filmmaker and she loves animation, so she always does a little side project of going out and digging from for some animation. And then stories by and about Black, Indigenous, and people of color in the cycling sphere are really just not super common. So we've been digging hard for those stories over the years. And just last fall, we launched our own BIPOC Filmmaker Grant Fund, mm. where we are awarding filmmakers who are Black, Indigenous, and all people of color emerging filmmakers to help support their work in telling their bicycle stories. Uh, we're really excited to have awarded three filmmakers just at the end of last year, and we'll be awarding more filmmakers oh, this June with grant applications due early June. And we've got information about all that on our website. But you know, we want those stories to be out there. So we're doing our small part mm -hmm. to help fund those stories and allow the filmmakers to actually produce them. Excellent. I had one last thing before I switch over here to Rue. Like what I see is from the bike films perspective is it has really grown as a niche over the years, right? And what I'm seeing is more professionals like Rue producing these amazing videos is there still room for the amateur filmmaker in, within these the context of these film festivals? Or, you, you know, you have to be on your A-game type thing? Like, Oh, that is a great question. You know, I come from an experiential arts background, and I'm a firm believer that with heart and dedication, anyone can make a great artistic piece of any sort. For me, it's really about the story, and our jury usually agrees as well. The story is well told we can overlook production value. If it's a unique story we wouldn't hear otherwise, we don't care if there's a little shaky camera here or there or if an edit wasn't perfect or a little audio okay. wasn't perfect. We want those stories to be out there. And we love that we can weave those in with more polished pieces like Rue's work and the other professional filmmakers that are in the mix. But we love a first-time filmmaker throwing their heart out there and putting the dedication into the piece. Sometimes those are the most special films of the festival. Excellent. Thank you. Rue, what was your first bike-related film? Oh, I think um, I did like some short stories for the newspaper, short videos. Um, but the kind of first long form was this race in Switzerland that Leo Wilcox, my girlfriend, did. Uh, at the time, it was called the Navad 1000. It is now the Hope 1000. But it is uh, this race, and it was the third year in 2018. It's a thousand kilometers with 30,000 meters of climbing. Just this insane terrain and really beautiful terrain. And the race organizer, Willie Felix, he ended up contacting Lail and was hoping that she would do this race. And she's a little bit hesitant, but he's like, you know, you have to do it. Like, I want this, this is the best route in Switzerland. Like, I've spent years guiding and creating routes, and this is like, this really shows what Switzerland has to offer. And he kind of sees it as being like the world championships of bikepacking races, oh, wow. okay. you know, which is like kind of funny. I mean, it's like bikepacking races, there's zero entry fee, there's zero prize money, but you do it because you want to experience the land, you want to experience the terrain. So that was my first project. And we partnered with Pearl Zunian Revelate Designs. Uh, Lail Sponsors help support the making of the film. But we thought that we were going to be living on our bikes for 
a month at a time just with like carrying video equipment. But uh, we ended up staying with Willie and he was basically like, an amazing host. But the second day that we were there, you know, we're incredibly jet lagged and I was just excited to start filming and I was shooting on the bike. I actually ended up going over the handlebars and like landing in a push-up position and breaking both of my elbows. Oh my God. Oh geez. Uh, Here I was laughing. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Uh, It's funny now. And it was kind of funny at the moment too, because like we had no idea what happened, but like that day, my arms were just kind of stuck in this 90 degree angle. And we thought like, Oh, they'll go back to normal or, you know, maybe like something weird happened with like a nerve when I crashed. And then we went to the ER and it was broken elbows. Uh, so the approach for making the film, it changed drastically. I was planning on touring the whole route with Lail and getting a lot of B-roll. And, you know, when, when Lail races, she likes to tour it with me beforehand. So we could actually experience the culture and, you know, experience the terrain at more of a, more of a pace that I could handle instead of covering that distance in four days. But instead, I was recovering and ended up just shooting some B-roll uh, around Switzerland. It only takes about like two weeks for the elbows to heal. Oh, okay. Wow, which great. is pretty amazing. And then I ended up just finding a friend to drive me around and we hiked and uh, shot the film. But that was that was the, the first one. The Hope 1000 now called in Switzerland. And that was a ton of fun and definitely got hooked because um, you see these racers out there and I mean, you're seeing people at their most kind of vulnerable, too. Mm-hmm. They're out there all day. They're dirty. They're tired. And um, just what, what a what a story to document and what a privilege. Mm. And I, I have to say from the perspective of a film festival that showcased the Nevada 1000 film that you made, I didn't know that backstory, but it's so interesting because I remember <laughs> the jury commenting on the fact that the piece really showcased Lael's struggle and it was so from her perspective. Um, the parts where she's on her cell phone talking and she's just, you know, trying to get through it. So it's, it's interesting to know, like as a viewer, we didn't necessarily need to know that backstory, but it it helped understand how you came to produce it the way that you did. Yeah. Okay. So your first early films, it's only three years ago, but a lot has happened in three years. I'm sure if you could go back and give early filmmaker Rue some advice, what would have been, what would it have been? And obviously other than not go over the handlebars and break your elbows. <laughs> oh, I think about that film a lot. Cause that was kind of the first big one. And I look at it and sometimes I cringe, you know, cause you grow as a filmmaker, you're like, Oh, then my frame, right was off or I was shooting at the wrong shutter speed, you know, all this technical stuff. So definitely like the technical aspects, but one of the really um, challenging things of documenting any bikepacking races, well, I have this rule that I kind of want to be a fly in the wall. You don't want to influence uh, any of the racers. I try to not shoot out of a car whenever possible. Uh, I like to you know, be on the bike and most of the times the riders don't even see me. And just kind of, you know, let, let things happen. But because you're trying to be such a fly in the wall and you're driving around for hours around these mountain passes, you can only access so many parts of the route. Mm. Um, you know, I would set up a tripod with a video camera. I'd have my still camera ready. And then I'd have a drone flying to try to capture three different shots. Because you only see the riders like twice a day. So I think right now I would have just, you know told myself to just chill out a little bit and, you know, not, I, I think I was pretty stressed, but, okay, you know, instead of getting three mediocre shots, maybe just focus on the video clip. 
yeah, instead of drone video and stills. Okay, so yeah, just like to breathe a bit, relax, and um, keep the stress levels down, I guess, right? So that you can just focus on one thing at a time. Can you tell us about your film from last year? That was, uh, I believe it was, I Just Want to Ride. What were some of the challenges of trying to capture such a long race and compressing it into just, you know, I think it was 38 minutes or 44 minutes. I forget now. It's not off the top of my head. But what were some of those challenges? Yeah. Um, so this was about the Great Divide Mountain Bike Route. And it is a route that stretches from Alberta, Canada, down to Antelope Wells, New Mexico, 2,700 miles. And there's a race called the Tour Divide. Um, so every year, upset for last year because the border was closed, a um, hundred or so riders will race almost 3,000 miles uh, self-supported. And we thought that'd be really cool to document because it's world's favorite race. And just the, the epicness of it to go from these crazy rocky mountains, you know, through like the vastness of the Great Basin, Wyoming, and then you get cacti and New Mexico. So I think just the scale of it was a huge challenge, but also, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think just getting getting those shots is a huge challenge, but also just trying to do the route justice. I mean, it's just so incredible. And I hadn't seen it before, um, but Lila has ridden it before that time already three times. So she was able to say, you know, this is a really beautiful pass, or this is what I really connect with. And it was nice to kind of have that direction, not even so much direction, but just to kind of hear her talk about some of these places and try to um, show that as best as possible. But it's, it's so long. We were out there for over two weeks, you know, and then you come home and you look at all this footage and you're like, I'm not going to look at that like for a couple months. I just let's back it up and then go into the editing computer with like a fresh, uh, fresh set of eyes. And then it's raining right now. Is this kind of loud? I could go inside. Okay. Yeah, let's just do that. I'm worried it might pick up a little bit. Sorry about that. All right. So on to the next question. Yeah, it's much quieter now, Rue. Where was I? Oh, yeah. How did you go about capturing the, the essence of the race with effect, without affecting these, like the spirit of the race? I know I think you talked about it was either in an interview or on the film itself, but about um, not being in people's faces with cars and stuff. And I think you mentioned the same thing with regards to the Switzerland race. Yeah. So um, I guess, you know, with the, with the tour divide, because it's such a long stretch of distance, um, you're really only going to see most of the field, most of the racers, the first few days. Otherwise they get so spread out that, you know, towards the middle or towards the end, these racers are states apart, mm. which is incredible. Hundreds of miles apart. And then you kind of have to narrow in your focus. So in the beginning, uh, I think the first few days of shooting were the most fun because we saw the most people. And I think a lot of people knew that we were going to be there filming and a lot of them were expecting it, but we still wanted to, you know, make sure that people had their space. And, um, again, like they're climbing up these huge mountains and trying to run in and out of convenience stores as fast as possible with, you know, a hot dog in their mouth and, it's not necessarily the most appealing look, but I mean, that, that's the race. That's if you want to win, you got to, or if you want to do well, you have to kind of stay motivated and do this, do these things quickly. Um, but I think. Time for a quick interruption to thank some of the Bike Tour Adventure partners. The Bike Tour Adventures podcast is proud to be partnered with Redshift Sports. 
founded in 2013 by a team of mechanical engineers who happen to be avid cyclists. They've been focused on creating components that make a meaningful difference to the riding experience, such as the switch aero system, the shock stop suspension system, and the kitchen sink handlebar system. I've been using the dual position seat post paired with the shock stop stem since 2020 and have nothing but great things to say about their products. Beginning in 2010 with environmental sustainability as the main focal point, Restrap has been in the bag making business for quite some time. Having used a race back since 2021, I find their holster system and magnetic buckles to be extremely effective and truly unique. Named after the animals that roamed the Tibetan Plateau, Cheru Endurance Bikes was started by Pierre Arnaud Le Magna in 2009. After noticing a lack of endurance bikes on the market, Pierre used his expertise, know-how, and racing experience to create high-end carbon fiber and titanium bikes for the discerning rider and racer. For discount codes, check out the show notes or go to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast website. For the essence of the race, we we did have my car to kind of get us around, but we would park it at a place that we could access. And then we had a couple of e-bikes ah. so that, you know, you weren't dusting anybody with a car, but we had e-bikes where we could just get farther up on the trail and then shoot a lockdown shot or something with a stabilizer. And that was actually really fun because, you know, we hadn't ridden the route before. And to just be on it for a little bit felt, felt really cool, even if it was on an e-bike carrying a ton of equipment. Okay. Um, just to let you know, I think your microphone's dragging either on your hair or your sweater. So it's causing a lot of staticky sound. Just, I know, I don't want you to listen to this later and go, oh my God, that's in the audio. Oh, no, sorry about that. <laughs> I, we might as well talk about it. I think it's been talked about overly too much, probably, but I know there were some social media warriors that were kind of on a full scale salt um, before the documentary was created and probably throughout um, about the fact that your partner Lael while, um, you know, while racing was having you following and this was going to cause all kinds of issues for them, even though it didn't seem to apply to, to necessarily all racers out there that have their own crews. My question was, do you feel this is a base of re- uh, gender discrimination or was it kind of more of a result of just Lael being the face and the name that she is and just her profile as an ultra endurance cyclist that she kind of has this target on her back? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So I guess a little bit of the backstory is that um, there have been films done before on the Great Divide mountain bike route and specifically the Tour Divide, uh, the race. And the race organizer was actually a part of one of the first films and probably the most recognized Tour Divide film, uh, Ride the Divide. Mm-hmm. So before we approach any race, um, you know, whether the race organizer asks Lail to race um, or if we're going to we want to do a race, Lil. we'll let them know like, hey, can we shoot photos? Can we shoot video? And we did the same approach with Matthew Lee, the race organizer. And it's it's a little weird because he says that there's no race organizer for this route, but then he does send everybody the track and he he's the race organizer of the route. Uh, but, you know, we thought, you know, you want to ask for permission and this route is part of the Adventure Cycling Association. Okay. So he doesn't own the route. He just organizes the race, you know, but that means that people just line up on a certain day uh, and have a route on their GPS computer and just follow it. And uh, so we asked if we could make a film and he was all for it. 
and word got out that we're going to be doing this. And there is a Tour Divide Facebook group where it's a great resource if you know, you're looking to take on the route or the race and people exchange gear information and, you know, meet up and tour together. So it's a great source. But then people were saying, or it, it kind of sparked this conversation with, if you have a media crew following you, is it self-supported? So these bikepacking races are self-supported. And that means that you can basically access any commercial businesses like a restaurant, a grocery store, a hotel. But you cannot receive outside assistance as from a support vehicle, you know, giving you food, drinks, um, like a vehicle or just people on the route. So we were never planning on giving, you know, any assistance to Lil or any of the riders. It wasn't just a film about Lil, but trying to capture more of the essence of the race. And uh, I think, you know, we or I responded to that Facebook group and said, you know, this is our approach. We, you know, intend to be flies on the wall. And then it became okay, what if it's Lael's girlfriend that's like documenting like her seeing Rue, that's going to give her emotional support, right? And if she knows that like her girlfriend's out there videotaping or she sees her, she's going to get an emotional boost, right? So then, you know, we kind of took this into consideration. People travel from all around the world to ride this route. And, you know, many of them, they don't have their wives out there or their husbands or girlfriends or partners. And so then we thought, okay, well, this hasn't been a problem in the past, but it seems like it's a problem with this race. And so then I thought, well, we, I have a crew of two others. One was going to act as a driver and the other as the other videographer. And I thought, okay, well, I'll take a director role instead. So, um, the driver, he's a great still shooter. And we thought we could continue with this project. We're all set. We're ready to do it. And all, all this kind of controversy sparked up about a week before the start of oh, the right. ride. Okay. So, uh, we'd been planning this for six months and got approval six months beforehand and it kind of just, it just came out of nowhere. So we thought we'd go ahead with it and then I would shoot the other racers, B-roll scenery, and then I wouldn't shoot Lail. I wouldn't be anywhere near her. And Jay Ritchie, the other, other videographer would get shots of her. So, you know, in that regard, I'm not out there. She doesn't see me. So there's no reason that she would get an emotional boost. Uh, you know, we still face some heat and it became kind of this weird game where all the riders have trackers. Uh, so you can follow where they are on the route via track leaders. It's like this website that shows all the riders. And we ended up having to wear spot trackers of our own to show where the media crew was to make sure that people saw that I was nowhere near Lail. And then whenever I saw that she was approaching, I'd have to kind of duck behind a tree. It just became kind of ridiculous, right? And then, you know, you could, you could do all these measurements and I was doing them, but then it's like, I don't know, people like, are they even going to believe that? Right. They're going to make up their own story. Mm -hmm. So it became kind of impossible to work like this for two weeks, but we made the best of it. And I think to answer your question, what was kind of the, the root of all this? And, you know, I, I want to respect the racers that don't want there to be media of the route, but that's how many of them learned about the route to begin with. And then when we did do the film and we shared images and video clips, they were really happy that we were there. But we found out later about halfway through the race that there was another film crew out there following a male rider that was pretty much in the same position as Lael. They're leapfrogging back and forth. And they were posting to that Facebook groups like images and 
showing that they were following one specific rider, but, uh, you know, people didn't give them any heat. Mm. And they were friends of that rider. So it became kind of, you know, what, what's the real issue? Is it that I'm out there? Is it that it's about Lale or is it about media in general? But having kind of that really direct contrast, it kind of made it feel like it was maybe something more to do about gender, okay. which is very unfortunate. Yeah. And has this impacted at all um, yours and Lael's future projects? Like when you're going to other races, have you thought, you know what, let's not even ask about filming or have you not let it affect you and just kind of rolled it off your backs? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we've talked about this a lot. And, you know, I think there it's, it's really hard to capture a bikepacking race in general on video or via film. And then that's like a huge obstacle. And then to have people kind of not want you there for whatever reason, that's just like an additional challenge. And I think, you know, out of respect for the race and the route, we always let the people know that like, Hey, can we do something on this? And, you know, if they say yes, then great. And if no, then, you know, we'll just choose not to do it from now on. That's kind of the the statement that we've made. We've tried to compromise on a couple of races uh, since then uh, where they're like, Oh, well, yeah, you could be there, you know, can you wear a GoPro camera to show all your movements? And I'm like, sure, I could do that. You know, and I'm trying to make these compromises. It's like, I'm not, I'm not doing anything bad. Like you have to understand that, you know, she's racing and then she passes this trail and maybe she sees me for five seconds, but there's no like interaction unless like she's like saying like how she's feeling or what she's eating or know how far she has to go. But then even that race organizer decided at the last minute, like, Oh, if, if you're out there to any capacity, even if it's at the start or the finish, Lil gets an asterisk next to her name. Ah, so it's okay. like, you know, that that's very unusual. And there have been other um, videos, a lot more recently done with professionals, like uh, some of the films with Lachlan Morton with EF Pro Cycling. He's taken more of a, he's taken on these really amazing bikepacking route FKTs, fastest known times where he tries to set mm-hmm. a time as an individual time trial and he has people filming him and uh, there's been no there's been there's been no controversy from what i gather and i'm happy that those films exist i think they're beautiful and i think it gets more people inspired to go riding and bikepacking and oh I, I another thing i forgot to mention was that that race where the organizer said that oh if you're out there they'll get an asterisk he said if anybody is out there taking photos or video of her she gets an asterisk so it's not just me. It's like if anybody's out there and oh, that's ridiculous because many people have done it since with photos and video with no asterisks. Yeah, so I think you know, she after. is a very, yeah, which, you know, it kind of, it's, it seems very demoralizing, but then it's like, all right, well, like it feels kind of personal at that point. And then Lyle mm. has kind of created, you know, she's, she's done all this outreach and she's made a name for herself in the bikepacking community and she does a lot for that. So she's a little bit more higher profile. I feel kind of weird saying that because it's bikepacking, right? Mm -hmm. So then I think she's the target and we're the target of a lot more criticism. But looking back, you know, the Navad film, you know, we had full permission from the race organizer. He arranged the driver. And now I think we're just a little bit more careful and we want to just approach things the right way. But uh, like upcoming, um, we'll be leaving in May for the Oregon Outback. And we have permission from the race organizer to do that. And really excited to tour that route with Flail. And uh, I'll be shooting a video of that. And also, um, this summer, we'll be in Alaska for a little bit. Lail's from Alaska. 
And last summer we spent the almost the entire summer riding all the roads in Alaska, yeah. a personal project of Lil's. And while we were doing that, she thought, you know, how cool would it be if I set an FKT along the pipeline? So in Alaska, there's this uh, Trans-Alaska Pipeline. From Dead from, Horse, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. From Dead Horse to Valdez, 850 miles. And uh, it's all pretty much gravel, uh, some pavement. And she's like, I'm going to set like an FKT. And then I want Lachlan <laughs> to come and beat it. You know? Nice. Like she wants like inspires competition. And then um, I'll be shooting that. And I'm really excited. And then somebody said like, oh, can you have media out there? And she's like, I created this thing. This is my idea. This is like my event. You know, it's like, it's still self-supported, but people should take photos and like, you know, so I, I think from now on, we'll just be a little bit more careful mm-hmm. with our time and energy. Cause I think we feel kind of burned in the past and yeah, it's, it's a good learning experience, but. And way, up, and way yeah. up north there, there's so nothing around that if one person's taking pictures, it's probably not going to motivate you that much. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So yeah. was I Just Want to Ride your first um, award for a film, the People's Choice Award? Or had you any other awards prior to that? Uh, I, I think it may have been. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I kind of have a bad habit where I don't enter the films in any festivals. I just... I. I'm really happy that they're free and they're <laughs> online and then people have uh, right. access to them. So I always get so pumped when Fill My Bike reaches out and I'm like, oh yeah, I should have done that. <laughs> you know, uh, so my photography has gotten uh, awards because it's just a lot easier for me to, you know, distribute images and mm-hmm. photos, but video, it's a little bit more complicated. But yeah, uh, yeah if, if I could get more eyes on some of the films and they're inspired to go to these different places or to write from home, I think that's a huge accomplishment. Amazing. And I think on, on your own front, um, just the fact of filming these films that you've been doing and biking more and more and more, you've become quite an accomplished uh, cyclist in your own right, which is pretty cool. I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, try- I'm trying to change the model a little bit. So I'll do, I love shooting and that's where my passion is and I love editing, but right now it's kind of, um, like a one man band, right? Unless I have other people helping me with a race that lasts over two weeks. I'm kind of on my own and that's just how we've been able to make it work and kind of make a, a livelihood for ourselves. So I'll be doing the, you know, the video and the stills and the audio and then doing all the editing. And that kind of has a lot of that, that results in a lot of time behind a computer okay. and not a lot of time riding bikes. So this year with Oregon Outback and um, the FKT and the Alaska pipeline, I'll be shooting the Oregon Outback for GCN plus and they'll edit it. Mm. And then for uh, the Alaska FKT, I'll be shooting it. And then Rafa will edit it. Oh, and nice. it's kind of exciting because it's not just less time behind a computer, but then I'm really looking forward to working collaboration with other editors mm-hmm. and being part of a process. Otherwise, it's just me and uh, me and asking Lael, you know, what do you think of this? And, you know, it's just kind of a process. So I'm just excited for Amazing. for the future and for spending more time on the bike instead of behind the computer in a dark room. So, um, what I'd like to move on to, oh, there's my dog barking. Uh, what I'd like to move on to is something I think that's near and dear to, to both of your hearts, Eileen and, uh, Rue. And part of that is I know that Lael has this goal of empowering more women to take on challenges of ultra distance bike racing or just, you know, cycling in general. How do you go about capturing the spirit of enabling women and showcasing it in your videos? And Aileen, for yourself afterwards, um, I know that you're, you're mentioning the BIPOC pr- uh, grant program. Are there any things out there that support budding female uh, filmmakers as well? 
That's a great question. Um, I think one of the things that Lil and I have noticed at these races is that like a very, very, very small percentage are actually female racers. And a lot of that comes from intimidation, right? Like the distance and, you know, the gear, can I be out there by myself? And the answer is you can, right? But because there isn't a lot of that, there's not a lot of representation of women doing these things. Um, it's, it's a lot harder to start. The amazing thing of long distance bikepacking races is that after a certain amount of time or a certain amount of distance, Lael and other women are actually able to compete with the men. In 2016, Lael won the Trans Am, and that's over 4,000 miles from the west to the east, and she was the first American first woman to win overall. And that kind of just speaks that, you know, there's there's like a place in race for women where, I mean, there's not many sports. I, don't, I actually can't really think of many, maybe like ultra-endurance running, where women and men have like an equal playing field. And that's super exciting. But then how do you get more women out there? And you get them out there by, you know, by showing that somebody like Lail is doing it, right? So I think that's where media and film really have a great impact. And then uh, this summer, this August, we're hosting this huge, you know, depending on uh, COVID, of course, uh, but this large group start on the Great Divide mountain bike route in Colorado called Yes You. We're hoping to encourage beginner bike packers, females, uh, non-binary to come out and ride. And to it'll be just under a week of riding. And we have this uh, event that we're launching on Rafa's website very soon. We have a committee and we're just trying to um, hash things out and make sure that it's ready for the launch. But we have plans this summer to get a lot of women out on the Great Divide mountain bike riot route riding together and camping and being outside and seeing, you know, if I could ride a couple hundred miles in Colorado, I could do anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, And Aileen, as for you, do you need me to restate the question? No, I I think I'm good. Thank you. Um, Well, we're a women-led film festival started by a woman. Our leadership team has always been strongly women. And that just brings a different perspective. An all-male team would probably program this film festival quite differently Mm. than we have over the years. We're making really intimate decisions at every turn. We're programming what film plays after what film and what kind of journey we take the viewers on, the highs, the lows, the contemplative moments. What do we start off on? What movie do we end on? That's one of the hardest decisions we make for every one of our programs. What note do we want to send people Mm -hmm. out on? And then which films go on the road in our tour program? Because that's a broader audience. And it's often nonprofit organizations hosting these shows as fundraisers. So what message are we sending? We put a lot of thought into that. And we try and bring onto the stage and the screen positions of power and prominence for women. And whether that's leadership roles, or who's being profiled in a film, or who's behind the film. Um, It's really important to us to make sure that women have that place at the table or on the stage, because they so often aren't given that opportunity. And they often have to work extra hard to be in those positions. And they're not, a lot of women don't have as many examples of people who look like them in these positions. So our goal with the film festival, in addition to entertaining, is to also make sure that we're really giving this opportunity to women and girls. We also partner really strongly with NICA, the Youth Cycling Association throughout 
the United States. They get more kids on bikes, especially mountain bikes for racing, but also they have a special program, Grit, which gets girls on bikes. So we do a lot of work with them to help them fundraise for their teams and leagues so they can work to get more of the little types on bikes and create that next generation of cyclists, hopefully with a lot of them being strong women and girls. Okay. Um, Let's move forward to the festival this year. Can you tell us a bit more about the festival uh, this year and how it's um, how is it different compared to the past, Aileen? Oh, my gosh. So as I mentioned earlier, we really are at the mercy of our filmmakers and what they're interested in working on these days. And we specialize in shorts. That means the two minute, three minute, eight minute films. That is our jam. That is our specialty. That is how we got our start. And we love short, impactful films. But this year we received an overwhelming number of submissions that were longer. And for us, longer means 20, 30, a little bit over 30 minutes long. And some of them were just undeniably gorgeous and a handful of them really fit together nicely. So we created a new program this year called Long Form because sometimes the more contemplative films just take longer to unfold. So it's a night of being able to sink into not only longer films, but a longer program. It's a Sunday night. It's almost two and a half hours of movies and they're just gorgeous. They fit together really nicely. Rue has a film in that collection and it's great films about bikepacking primarily. So that's going to be a really great program on the Sunday of Film by Bike. Other than that, it's a neat mix of films. We kick off Friday with a hilarious collection of all the funny stuff. We brought all the funny movies together into our second program on Friday night. It's kind of the late night, crazy Friday show. We always have an adventure program on Saturday. It's 8 p.m. Pacific time. It's always in that same time slot. And that's where we showcase the rugged road adventure films, the films that really have those beautiful sweeping landscapes and get people inspired to ride. So six different programs for people to choose from and a whole lot of variety in that mix. So is that six programs, six nights? Three nights, two programs a night. And new this year, we have a raffle drawing at every showtime. We'll be giving away several thousand dollars worth of prizes throughout the course of the weekend and lots of stuff geared towards the adventure set. So Outer Shell donated a, a generous gift certificate towards their bags and other adventure gear. Lots of great stuff like that. So it's going to be a lot of fun to be able to have some Fun things for the audience in addition to the great movies. And we do all of this these days during COVID. We're doing all of this online as a live stream on YouTube. So people can join in on the chat window, ask questions. Our filmmakers chime in and give some background information on the films that are playing. Mm. And then anyone who can't watch live can always watch later as well. So watch live or later. It's available to our viewing audience. Okay, so is this year, is the program only virtual or you guys have a physical program as well? Um, Our main festival is virtual only this year. We do have some of our tour hosts who are beginning to formulate some in-person events for later in the year. But our signature annual festival will be virtual for the second year in a row, which we're very excited about because it's giving us the opportunity to bring on stage the virtual stage, mm-hmm. some of our filmmakers from all over the world who otherwise would not be able to join us for the festival. Um, so that's been really exciting. I was going to ask what some of the challenges of making it virtual have been, but I guess you guys went through all that last year. 
Yeah, this is year two. We feel like um, even though there were some technical challenges and we weren't, you know, we had an old outdated YouTube account that we revitalized and we learned live streaming. But for us, there were so many silver linings because we are a global film festival, because we are part of a global community. It really just allowed us to go beyond the physical constraints Mm -hmm. of our city here in Portland and to be able to share this excitement and vibrancy with a broader audience. Now, all that being said, the Signature Annual Festival is a film festival for our Portland bicycle community. So our showtimes are geared towards a Portland audience. And we have some special give backs for our locals. Um, That really is the heart and soul of everything we do. We would not be here today, 19 years later, if it weren't for our amazing Mm -hmm. bike community here that really helped us grow to where we are. Excellent. What what are you most excited about this year with the show, uh, Aileen? Is there anything in particular? You know, I think I'm most excited for this to be our second year as a virtual festival because we're reaching a new audience. We've been able, our ticket buyers are coming from all over. And I just love that this gives our filmmakers a broader audience on their work. Sure, we're niche, you know, bicycle films. We're, we're always going to be a niche film festival, but our filmmakers put so much great work into their pieces that they deserve to have more eyes on their work and to share these stories with more people. And I love that we'll be able to do that with a broader audience this year. Rue, back to you. I'm not ignoring you, I promise. I understand you have two films in this year's festival. Uh, the first one being, well, I'll say the first one as Lale Rides Alaska. Um, can you tell us a bit about it? I know you touched on it. So, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> sure, yeah, thank you. Um, Lale Rides Alaska, it was something that we shot and edited in the summer of 2020. And that was, of course, you know, the summer of, well, the, the year of COVID and it still is. So we thought, you know, what, what can we do? You know, it feels like we're so limited. Um, none of these races are happening or it's not safe for these races to happen. And well, I thought, you know, I, I started this project of riding all the roads in Alaska, my home state in 2017. And, you know, you came along for some of it, Rue, but, you know, you only took a couple photos and I really, I think it'd be cool to, to tell the story of the roads and tell the story of riding from home and riding of family and riding of close friends. And that's what we ended up undertaking. So last, last summer, we just rode from home and we ended up riding thousands of miles in Alaska and exploring the state. And Alaska doesn't have that many roads and you can actually just see them on a map or major roads, you know, not like all the neighborhood roads. And then we'd go to Dead Horse and we go down to Homer and we wanted to, um, well, I had done all the roads in the mainland uh, four years ago now, but she hadn't ridden in Kodiak, an island with only 120 miles of road. And we went to Prince of Wales and rode 300 miles of road. And it was, uh, yeah, a story about riding from home. And thankfully, Wales home happens to be Alaska and just beautiful riding. And you can ask for a better scenery. But that project is also really special because I was actually able to ride with her. So, you know, a lot of the times when she's doing these races, um, she's going full gas and doing that for days. And, you know, I love biking, but not that I don't love biking that much, but I just can't do that, right? And I can't do that and shoot. Uh, so I ended up um, getting an e-bike, a specialized Creo. We put a rack on it and put some bags on it. And I don't know if it was ever intended for that, but it became a media bike. So I was able to throw in a Super 8 camera and some extra batteries and a drone and basically ride with her until the battery got really low. And then we're 
instead of listening for water, uh, we were listening for generators and trying to find outlets for the e-bike. And that, that was a really cool experience to shoot on the bike. Yeah, you were qu- you were featured yourself quite heavily, or not super heavily, but you were throughout that video. You were featured yourself. Um, what I'm trying to ask is, what were some of the difficulties of capturing good video clips of yourself while in this process and being participant in the uh, the adventure? That's that's really funny. That's the first um, video that I've actually been a part of. And Lil's like, "Well, you're part of the story. Like, I want you in it." And I didn't really want to, but she's like, oh, it'll make it so much better. And then I kind of I'm like, okay, well, it makes sense. You know, it's kind of like the story of us too. It's, you know, riding all the roads in Alaska, riding from home. But we actually met in Alaska in 2017 when she was doing this project. And I was working for the newspaper. And um, I actually, it was kind of in hindsight when we did the interviews when we were back in Tucson. Uh, we had spent maybe six months in Alaska. And because of that, it was kind of hindsight that I didn't, uh, I didn't really shoot myself at all. So I had a little bit of GoPro footage and that's pretty much it. Yeah. So I make a little cameo for GoPro and then, uh, the interview and it's so hard to listen to yourself or watch yourself. And I'm just so thankful that Lael is so charismatic and is like open <laughs> to it because if I, I mean, that's, that's, that's like the beauty of it, right? Um, you have these mm-hmm. great characters and they have the story to tell and then people uh, gravitate towards that. So I feel really lucky as a filmmaker to tell these stories, but also to have a really loving girlfriend that is a part of it and is supportive. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, you mentioned in the video, Lil Rides Alaska, that you hate riding with a heavy backpack, but you love taking good photos and video. Did you learn this the hard way? I mean, was there was there times where you slimmed down the kit and then you just kind of regretted it? Or how did that go? Yeah, um, I guess, you know, you're going to have a heavy... Well, I, I, I struggle still with figuring out how to carry equipment on a bike. And in the past, I've damaged lenses and other equipment by having it in a feed bag. And, you know, the bike just rattles if you're not on smooth asphalt. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, the only way I could protect this stuff is just to have it on my body or have it like in panniers but it's not like that. That's where the batteries go or the tripod goes and mm. the drone goes and it'll be fine. So I ended up having a kind of a heavy backpack and a heavier bike. And that's like where the e-bike really helps. But the nice thing about that project was that Lil's family is in Anchorage and that was kind of our home base. And it was kind of the hub where, you know, we'd bike north and northeast and south from Anchorage. So depending on the ride, that would kind of change up the equipment. So if we're riding kind of closer to home, I'd bring more stuff and more gear. And uh, it was kind of fun where, well, this is kind of funny. We were riding from Dead Horse to Fairbanks, about 500 miles with very little resupply. And I had brought a tripod and a drone with me. And I thought, oh, well, the tripod, like I'll get, you know, night shots or I'll need to stabilize something. And I don't know what I was thinking because it doesn't get dark in Alaska in the summer. So I was just hauling this tripod around and I would just like look at it on the rack and just think like, oh, I guess, you know, if we run out of bear spray, I could use that or something, you know. And then I had this drone with me and I realized like as I'm about to launch it for like a flight, like the cord's broken. So I'm just biking with this useless drone and tripod for 500 miles and then, you know, you replace stuff or you figure out a better use for it. So it's like it's all trial and error, right? But I have really enjoyed having the e-bike because I could just put some more gear on it or carry more equipment. But 
when I do just day rides around Tucson, I'll just bring a little point and shoot now where I get to enjoy the ride a little bit more. Even though I enjoy taking photos and video, sometimes I just want to bike and take a couple photos. Mm. Um, I was going to ask, if you could only take one camera and one lens with you, what would it be? Um, in you know, For the general person out there that's got to decide what one piece they could buy. That's a good question. I'm still figuring that out too. <laughs> uh, but I've, I've always been a, a Canon shooter. And in the past, I think... Um, I've, I've always had a Canon for stills. And then I realized that, you know, this camera that I have, it doesn't really stabilize video footage or it's not really meant for that. So then I have a second camera with me for video. But now I, I got a little bit smarter and I bought myself a Canon R5 mirrorless that does great video and great stills. And I think that with a 24 to 70 is, I think that'd be the one camera. And okay. I'm still downsizing. I just got a smaller microphone so I could carry stuff on the bike. It's all a learning process, and I think something. If, if I if I could, I would just bring my phone. But I think a part of me is like, oh man. But there's like I think I say it in the video in Little Rides Alaska, we're biking the Denali Park Road, and there's three bull moose just walking in the road, mm-hmm. and I had a little point and shoot, and I'll never forget that moment. But you know. I'll never forget it because we experienced that, but it's hard to tell people that story and then just have these three dots and be like, yeah, those are the bull moose, you know, we saw <laughs> instead of like a beautiful image. And yeah. for me, you know, I love experiencing things firsthand, but my passion's always been photography and videography. And I think that's, yeah, that kind of comes first for me. So I'll take more weight just so I can get better footage. Nice. In the film Ruta Chingaza, Bikepacking for Conversation, uh, conversation Conservation, what was it about and how did the project come to be? Sure. Uh, so the project came to be when Logan Watts of Bikepacking.com uh, contacted us and he said, you know, we're collaborating, Bikepacking.com is, with uh, Conservation International, the largest conservation nonprofit. And they were planning on going to Colombia and creating a bikepacking route around the Paramos. It's an ecosystem that's also called the cloud forest. And there are these really amazing ancient plants that I wouldn't say harvest, but they collect moisture from the air and they filter it down through the soil. And it's able to help provide drinking water to the city of Bogota, a city of 10 million people. So it's these really amazing plants. And the goal was to make a loop starting from Bogota, this huge city. And, you know, in a few dozen miles, kilometers to kind of be away from the city and kind of immerse in this really beautiful and fragile landscape. And we ended up working with a few local Colombian riders and we didn't actually know this. You know, we we did as much research as we could before arriving in Colombia. But when we got there on the ground, we realized that the biggest sport is cycling. Like cycling is it. And every Sunday, um, they close off 70 miles. I think it's 70 miles of roads to cars where only cyclists and pedestrians can use them. And 1.5 million, you know, cyclists and people come out and take over the streets of Bogota. Like kind of like critical mass, I guess. And it was just this beautiful, just this story that, um, you know, anybody could actually ride from home and immerse themselves in nature. And if you do that, you kind of start to care a little bit more about your place. You start to realize like where your water comes from. And it comes from the Paramos, like specifically in Bogota. And these plants, they grow like a centimeter a year. You know, they're hundreds of years old and 
everybody, well, the people that we talked with, the Colombians, like they have the utmost respect for these plants. And it's because they've been able to travel and propel themselves to those places. And they kind of, um, you know, they experience the silence of it and the beauty of it. And we just want to encourage more people to explore that, get away from the city and experience nature. And hopefully that um, also promotes conservation or maybe some more thoughtfulness of their environment. So we ended up um, scouting a route and modifying it and biking the route with uh, a few scientists from Conservation International and interacting with the community and seeing the work that they did there. And then Lail, of course, uh, rode it as fast as she could. You know, a ton of climbing and a really challenging ride. And yeah, Colombia is a really beautiful place to ride bikes, but it's really hard. And we're carrying all this equipment. We weren't even uh, carrying cooking stuff, right? Like we're just eating bags of chips because Lael was helping me carry a stabilizer, the drone. And then we weren't really expect or sure what to expect of the terrain. And we'd ride all day, but we'd only get 30 miles, you know, because you're going up and then straight down and then up and straight down. And then you have to stop because you're exhausted. So that's kind of, that, that's, that's what it's about. It's the journey and the, the process of scouting a route and creating a route and what conservation means and the connection of cyclists to land. So I guess going there, you had an idea, you know that you're going to be filming about creation of this route and stuff, but the the bigger picture is just not there until after, right? Until you have a chance to see everything that you filmed and all the the um, the experiences that happened, like cycling around in Bogota on a whatever day of the week. That was Sunday, I think, right? Yeah. So until all these things happen, there's no real way to know how the film is going to grow. And it's such a lovely surprise too. And, you know, you don't know what people you're going to meet out there. And then they happen to be people that you believe that are going to be lifelong friends. And then, you know, the story becomes a little bit more complicated and multifaceted. And it's really a great experience. But, oh, it's it's hard for editing, right? You want to <laughs> give justice to all these different aspects and all these different storylines. And, um, yeah, I, I guess with like a race, it's, it's a little bit more... Like, we're going to follow the race, right? Whoever's the fastest and wins. And uh, maybe we'll meet some characters along the way and hopefully do the route some justice because somebody put a lot of effort into making this route. But it's a lot simpler. But when you're working with conservation and these kind of a little bit heavy hitting topics becomes more complicated. So that was really uh, a challenge, but also a ton of fun. And you're not going to get any backlash, right? Like the tour divide for making a film about conservation in Colombia. So it was fun to just be like, oh, like, you know, this is, this is actually something that we really care about. And I actually minored in environmental studies, hoping that I could make films about climate change and oh, nice. more about the land. Um, so this was kind of, wow, I, I got to be taking photos and videos and biking and telling a story about conservation. So that was really cool. Amazing. Aileen? What are some of the various awards um, that you guys have up for, for grabs throughout the festival? I know I looked at it and um, I thought you could lay more into it. Yes. Yeah, so our top prize in the festival is the Golden Helmet Award, which overall film with most merit. That's what that film, go, that award goes out to. We have a music award that honors the filmmaker who makes the best use of independent music. And we started that years ago as a way to encourage filmmakers to be seeking out music that they have the licensing to use and also to foster some collaboration between filmmakers and musicians. Our local award is for the locals in the Oregon region. And that's a way to just go back to our roots of the filmmakers who 
helped get the festival started in the early days. And then we have the Audience Choice Award. So all throughout the course of the festival, movie watchers can be voting on their favorite films. And one of my favorite things to do is to check in on those results all throughout the festival because I'm never going to see the final result until it's the final result. And I watch different films go in the lead and it almost always surprises us which one wins. You know, there are always about five that we think, oh, this one might make it, this one might make it. But we don't know. It's up to the audience. And after being so involved in the festival over the years and over the course of that year's festival, we have our biases, uh, a staff team. We, we have our favorites. We have our moments we love and our films that really just get us every time. But we are not the audience. We are the programmers. So we love that Audience Choice Award for that very reason. It gives the audience a chance to vote for their favorite. Amazing. Um, yeah, I can imagine that, you know, being so far involved in the project and uh, the, in the um, festival, that there must be sometimes you watch and you go, really? They chose that? Like, I so thought this one was the best one. And that's just the way it is, right? Well, I love that about it because, you know, I'm a curator. That's that's my specialty. I don't create the films. I just love curating them. But I can see the beauty in every single film that we're showing at this year's festival. They all have something really special about them. That's why they made the cut. And we show about 60 films every year, 60 to 70 films, because they are often very short um, and they're all really unique and they all really have a special place in the festival. So I'm excited to be able to share those with people this year. Nice. And where can people go to find the festival? We've got all the information at filmedbybike.org. You can get tickets, watch trailers and get a little glimpse into the festival this year. Also follow us on Instagram where we're releasing interesting information about the festival every day. We're giving glimpses at some of the programs as well as some of those awesome raffle prizes that we talked about earlier. And we've got some Instagram takeovers coming from some of our filmmakers. So Anchita is a filmmaker here in Portland who is one of our BIPOC filmmaker grant fund recipients. And she's going to be taking over our Instagram in a couple days here to showcase a little bit of what she loves about the festival through her own eyes. Oh, nice. That's really cool. When is the festival? Just to remind people. We're coming up May 20th through the 23rd for the films. And then leading up to the film section of the festival, we'll be doing some interesting online interviews with both our filmmakers, our BIPOC filmmaker grant recipients, and we're going to be doing a happy hour um, the night before the festival and a special celebration with our filmmakers as well. So lots of great pre-festival events as well as the weekend three days of movies. And you mentioned the screenings that go on around the is throughout the year. Is it just in the U.S. or does it go worldwide? We are worldwide. One of my favorite shows. It hasn't happened in years, but years ago we were in Cork, Ireland, and they hosted Film by Bike just as a way to thank their community for riding their bikes. Oh, that's cool. That was their. That was all the agenda they had. They just wanted to have a, a celebration and give people something really fun to watch. Uh, but we do have, we were involved in a festival in Norway last year where we were some of the entertainment for the festival that was out in the woods. So it really varies, but often it is bicycle related groups who are hosting Film by Bike as a way to raise funds for their organization. They get to keep all the proceeds. 
So it's just a, a new tool in the fundraising toolkit that's allowing uh, communities to strengthen their programs and bring more vibrancy to their cycling community. Beautiful. Um, Rue, back to you just to finish things off. Um, is there any one film that you've made which holds a special place in your heart as a personal favorite? Oh, I think that would have to be Lil Rides Alaska. I think because that was the most fun to make. And um, that's kind of the right now, you know, at this moment in time, that's kind of the the last one that I'll be editing for a bit. So I I felt good to kind of end on that note too. Mm. But yeah, that one was fun. Cool. And then you mentioned that coming up for you guys is the Colorado Trail. Uh, the Oregon Outback. Sorry, Oregon mm-hmm. Outback. My bad. Um, and when is that taking place? When are you guys doing that? Uh, we plan on arriving to, I think we'll be in Seattle first. Um, and then we'll start making our way down to Oregon, um, probably the second week of May to ride the whole route together. And then, uh, Lail will ride that as fast as she can with a friend, uh, Jan Hein. And, um, yeah, that's coming up pretty soon. I think, uh, we have to get our, our forks serviced right now on our bikes and we're starting to kind of pack up and get ready to get ready to leave Tucson until the fall. So nice. it's all coming up. And where can people find you on social media if they want to sure. follow you? Uh, they could find me on Instagram mostly and it's, uh, uh, it's, it's Rugila Kodita, you know, so it's R-U-G-I-L-E-K-A-L-A-D-Y-T-E on Instagram. You know, I wish I had a simpler name. I will but- add a link. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Oh, good. Okay, great. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, that was so fun. Thank you guys so much for all your time. I don't really have any questions, but if there's anything you I've missed out that you guys or that you ladies really want to touch upon, um, now's the chance. I think that's it for me. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us. Hey, everyone. Before we end this podcast, I'd like to tell you about some of Bike Tour Adventures' other amazing partners. Very proud to be supported by Brockton Cyclery, a Toronto-based bike shop dedicated to bike touring and bikepacking. Carrying many of the top bike touring and bikepacking brands, I can honestly say that they have helped me to build the most durable and fast bikepacking bike possible. We're also supported by Race Day Fuel. Their mission is to ensure that you consume the very best and appropriate food and beverage for the task at hand. Working with top brands such as Scratch, Noon, and Untapped, They have all your nutrition needs taken care of. For discount codes, check out the show notes or go to the Bike Tour Adventures website. Thank you again, Rue and Aileen, for being on the show. I really appreciated it. It was so much fun. I hope that all the listeners out there enjoyed it and that it was a neat new perspective on bike touring and things related to bikes. So super cool. If you do like the podcast, you know how to help us out. You can support us through Patreon, through reviews, or just shooting us a real quick and simple email to say, hey, man, I like the show and thank you for producing cool content. We really appreciate those emails. It makes us feel good and happy. And that's what keeps it going. Otherwise, I'd just be out riding my bike all the time. Thanks, guys. And keep on pedaling. Bye bye. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, 
blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling. <laughs>